Welcome to the panel discussion, Real ID Application Processing, sponsored by Kodak Alaris. Here's today's moderator, Tom Temin. Welcome and thanks for joining us. My guests today are Kyle Kotner, the Public Sector Business Development Manager at Kodak Alaris. Michael Leahy is the Secretary of Information Technology for the State of Maryland. Ian Grossman is the Vice President of Member Services and Public Affairs for the American Association of Motor Vehicle Administrators. And Charles Norman, the Registrar of Motor Vehicles for the State of Ohio. It's good to have you all with us today. And our main topic is Real ID, which is an program of the federal government and Congress that goes back so many years that I think sometimes people in the public that drive and have IDs are still surprised that real ID has not taken hold nationally and there's still a lot of work to do. So we will start with uh, Michael Leahy for the state of Maryland. Tell us what the status is for real ID in Maryland, what some of the challenges are and what you're hearing from the federal government at this point. Certainly. Th thank you so much, Tom. Uh, the state of Real ID in Maryland is progressing well. Uh, we have our uh, complete implementation expected by October of this year. And uh, having gone through the process myself personally about eight months ago, uh, I can tell you that uh, there are several avenues that citizens can take. The original expectation implementation back in 2005 when the rules were passed uh, was a bit more cumbersome. Uh, we have gotten uh, far more adept at uh, providing means for citizens to provide their documentation and to address any questions that arise either through uh, call-in or electronically, which has made a huge difference. Um, people that already are uh, have real ID, but there's always new drivers and new people coming into the state and so on. And so you've got a kind of a rolling challenge, correct? Certainly. Uh, the, the significant issue there is a vast majority of people coming from other states already have um, driver's licenses, many of them having been certified under the Real ID program in their state. And the documentation they are required to provide still must be provided, but we have a secondary check against the records in other states. Got it. And what kind of guidance, if any, are you getting these days from the federal government, from the Homeland Security Department? Are they pretty much left it to the states to carry out the rest of this? Uh, that is my understanding. Um, as one can imagine, in a bureaucracy the size of the state of Maryland, uh, the Department of Motor Vehicles is part of the Department of Transportation, which is a separate entity from the Department of Information Technology. And we all work on these things together. And in that I am not hearing anything from the bowels of the organizations uh, about significant problems or about changes in policy or process. Uh, I think the uh, instructions from the federal government have been fairly constant for at least the last year and it's going well. Okay, good. Well, good uh, summary. Having been through it uh, myself in Maryland, I can attest to the fact that it does get done and it's not too painful when you finally get that uh, that new license with the real ID on it. And Mr. Norman in Ohio, give us the status of affairs in Ohio. Well, in Ohio, we began uh, offering real ID compliant driver's licenses in, and IDs in July of 2018. Um, so we have a four-year license cycle, so we're about 18 months uh, from being able to say that every Ohioan has had a chance during their regular renewal period to obtain a real ID license. Um, right now, month over month, uh, our adoption rate for, for real ID is, is about 45%. Um, I can tell you when we when we started that, that first year, we were in the teens, so it's, it's a number that's uh, gone up over time. Um, however, that 45% that is actually down from where we were pre-COVID. 
Um, we were actually to a point where we had more Ohioans opting for a real ID uh, than for a standard non-real ID driver's license. So it's, it's down a bit. Um, and we hope to see that number uh, go back up as, as things loosen up a bit. Um, you know, as we're all aware, uh, real ID, obtaining a real ID for the first time is a, is a somewhat manual process uh, because of the requirement to provide documentation, physical documentation. Um, so there's a lot of interaction with the clerks and it's uh, both uh, extremely manual and time consuming. Um, so we're sort of battling that, um, you know, how do we encourage people to obtain a real ID license um, while at the same time we're, we're sort of battling the challenges provided by COVID where we're trying to, to, to the extent we can, keep people out of our offices and maintain social distancing and, and, and uh, sanitation in, in the offices. So it's, it, it's a challenge. We're really looking forward to some of the um, updates the, in the Real ID Modernization Act and, and how that will really uh, improve our processes and, and give us some opportunities to, to maybe make that, that entire process a little, little less manual. So. Because the statutory deadline hasn't moved. That's right. Uh, well, it, it, it was originally October uh, of 2020, and it's now October 1st of 2021. So we have a, a little more time, um, and that that was extremely helpful. And I, I were it not for that changing, I don't know how states would have been able in, during COVID to to really get by. Interesting. Okay, we'll move to Mr. Grossman. And of course, you are an association of types of organizations that everybody professes to hate, but they can't stay away from because they like driving. So what, what are you hearing nationally from the, from the members? What does it look like from that macro picture to you? Sure. So I think you heard um, from Michael and, and from Charlie, who uh, were fortunate also serves on AMVA's board of directors um, as one of our representatives. Uh, Everyone is in a little bit of a different place, just as you heard difference between Maryland and Ohio. And then if you scanned all of the states, you would see different levels of implementation um, at, a, at a macro level. Everybody is on track to be compliant with the DHS regulations to produce real IDs and provide them to their to their customers, uh, which is a different compliance milestone, if you will, than that October 21 enforcement deadline that was just referenced, which is really about when will the federal agencies, most notably TSA to board commercial aircraft, enforce the fact that someone has to have real ID documentation if they're going to use their driver's license to get on an airplane. Of course, you don't have to use your driver's license. There are other acceptable forms of identification. But as you look across the states, you see all those different levels of implementation from the Maryland's and other states that were um, earlier adopters who are further into the maturation of implementing the program. Um, I think Charlie's example is kind of in that middle phase of, you know, they've, they've been doing it and they're making great progress. And then you have others that um, are have further to go, but are well on track to implement. And I think the other difference that you also heard a little bit in between uh, Michael and Charlie, when Charlie talks about the percentage of adoption, Ohio offers Real ID as an option for their driver's license. You can have a Real ID compliant driver's license or ID card or a traditional legacy type product. Whereas in Maryland, uh, you cannot opt out of Real ID. If you qualify for Real ID, you have to get the Real ID. And there are a number of states that fall into either of those two buckets. So that's one of the other differences that uh, different states have to grapple with is they're communicating with their citizens in terms of how to go through the process. Interesting. And before we move to Mr. Kotner, I just wanted to ask you, uh, Ian, what basically, just for the audience that will be watching this that may not be directly involved with Real ID, but have similar technical challenges of integrating lots of information into a verifiable type of format, because I, I think that's a common problem across many agencies. What, just review for us the Real ID process, what's involved to make a Real ID that's, that's uh, federally compliant. Sure. I think, you know, the, the differences between real ID and say the traditional um, identification process is uh, 
it starts with the requirements in terms of the original documentation that you have to bring in the application process. And that's some of that manual process that Charlie was alluding to where frontline clerks are having to review birth certificates, uh, passports, social security cards, and they have to accept them. They've got to verify that they're legitimate credentials. And they do that both by verifying it back with the source that produced that document through networks that we have where a DMV can talk to, say, the Social Security Administration and say, is this a legitimate Social Security number? They're also taking steps to what we call authenticate the document through different technologies that they have to make sure it's not not a counterfeit document. Uh, and then they have to be able to store and keep all that data uh, for DHS audits and, and record keeping. Uh, and then the additional requirements of Real ID that was, dish, that was different from previous had to do with the production of the card itself, uh, how it looks, how it's marked, the type of facility that it's produced in, and the security around those facilities, as well as everything from uh, background checks to the employees that touch the different part of the process. So that's, I think, kind of at the high level, the what was what's different before and after Real ID would fall into many, many of those buckets. Okay, excellent. And Kyle, why don't you tell us what it looks like from the Kodak Alaris standpoint? You do provide a lot of the pieces and parts to make all of this happen, but what does it look like nationally and what, what kind of advice are you finding people need these days? Thank you so much, Tom. Yeah, no, I could actually echo all the previous statements that were, that were definitely made, but what I'm hearing basically on the ground is there's kind of a paperwork uh, bottleneck happening. This is a huge administrative burden, if you think about it, all these different documents need to be processed and they need to be processed in a way that organizations such as Ian will understand. These documents need to be obviously clear. They need to be accurate. So I've noticed on the ground from what I'm hearing is that there's a lot of just administrative burden, but some states are doing much better than others, I will say. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not here to throw any states under the bus, of course. But uh, so just personally, when I moved from the Commonwealth of Virginia to the state of Texas. Commonwealth of Virginia is much later to the game on the real ID uh, process than the state of Texas. So when I came to the state of Texas, I had to obviously get all of my paperwork in order, birth certificate, uh, passport, and then uh, utility bills, just basically prove that, hey, this is where I live. Uh, so that's what I am seeing, that some states are much quicker than others. And if you just look at the states, the state actually right above me, the state of Oklahoma, uh, they are, they just implemented the real ID basically process a year ago. And with COVID and such, it's just going to take them much longer. And, and there's a huge backlog within the state of Oklahoma. And if you go up to the state of Minnesota, uh, they, they, they hit a pause on expiring driver's licenses uh, last year. So you can go over a year and that's 300,000 people that are, are now going to be rushed when everything finally opens up, it's going to be rushed to get their ID, their driver's license, which would be real ID compliant. So I'm hearing basically there's, there's a huge administrative burden and uh, basically just what's important is that the documentation is processed quickly and efficiently, which uh, can be uh, real tough to be honest with you. Yeah, so it sounds like there's a combination of issues in the process here. One even though once you have a real ID that will enable lots of digital interactions down the line. But to get to that point, you need to have physical documents that have to be verified and handled and scanned and so forth. And you also have to have an in-person presentation of them. And so we have a pandemic. Is that a good way to characterize Exactly, Tom. Exactly. So yes. So it's not just like uh, in the old days that, hey, I just need to renew my driver's license. I'm just going to go online and do a quick process. No, I actually have to go to the DMV now or the DPS, depending on what state it's called. I need to go to this location and bring all these documents and it's gonna be very time consuming. And it's not just me, it's hundreds and hundreds of people like me waiting in line. And, and it's not obviously the fault of the, the workers processing these documents. It's just, they have the existing technology that they've used. And sadly, it just cannot keep up with uh, the, the workload coming in. And Ian, let me ask you this again, looking nationally at all of the registrars and the departments of motor vehicles, 
we heard also that some states got started later so that there are different states of, I guess, technical readiness or maturity experience. And then there's states that just have different levels of people that have been able to enroll because of pandemic or whatever. Is it your sense that all of the states, though, have a roughly equal technology and workflow basis that once they get started, they can get this job done? Or is there some investment required yeah, that varies across all the states. Uh, just as the states are diverse in terms of where they're implementing, uh, they're at differentiating stages of technology. Uh, some have modernized their technology and have the most cutting edge tools available. Others are still working on uh, 1970s mainframes that require uh, significant investment to be able to run the types of transactions they need. And just the same, they have different resources available to them from their state legislatures and other budget funds to be able to invest in the technology tools that they need at the counter. And also the human resource of the frontline employees. How many can a state afford to pay and pay during the hours? And especially, you know, in this past year with the restrictions of in office Office transactions that the pandemic has presented and controlling the amount of people that can be in a branch office at any given time, that's also been a different impact based on the differing regulations that we've seen during the health crisis. So I would say to answer your, your first and foremost question, Tom, uh, no, not everybody is starting from the same starting line. And I guess just to follow up briefly before the break on those frontline workers, I would think they would have to know what it is they're trying to do. It's not just a rote process, put this piece of paper here, push this button, give this out, but they probably need some understanding of, of the goal here to be able to do it efficiently. Absolutely. And I think that's where, and Charlie and Michael could probably talk more specifically to it, but I think we have seen pretty general holistic success of the ability to train and prepare those frontline employees to do those transactions, that they understand that the real ID, which goes back to the act in 2005, why the process was changing and providing the training on the new technology. It's more, the difference is do all the states and all the offices have access to that technology? But I do think there's been more widespread success in training the employees to use the technology and implement the new business processes. All right. Before we get into some of those technology issues, we'll take a short break. My guests today are Ian Grossman, the Vice President of Member Services and Public Affairs for the American Association of Motor Vehicle Administrators. Charlie Norman is the Registrar of Motor Vehicles for the State of Ohio. Kyle Kotner is the Public Sector Business Development Manager at Kodak Alaris. And Michael Leahy is the Secretary of Information Technology for the State of Maryland. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. This discussion is Real ID Application Processing, sponsored by Kodak Alaris here on Federal News Network. Across the nation, DMVs are dealing with overwhelming backlogs from pandemic closures. Real ID mandate enforcement starts October 1st, so agencies are left to deal with an influx of applications and manual processes that risk inefficiencies and noncompliance. With a world-class portfolio of scanners, software, and services, Kodak Alara simplifies the application process to help DMVs enhance citizen interactions, accurately capture fragile personal documents, and improve processing times. To learn more, visit alarisworld.com go gov. Welcome back to our discussion, Real ID Application Processing, sponsored by Kodak Alaris here on Federal News Network. My guests today are Kyle Kotner, the Public Sector Business Development Manager at Kodak Alaris. Michael Leahy is the Secretary of Information Technology for the State of Maryland. Ian Grossman is the Vice President of Member Services and Public Affairs for the American Association of Motor Vehicle Administrators. And Charles Norman is the Registrar of Motor Vehicles for the state of Ohio. And Kyle, why don't we start with you on what a typical and well-working workflow looks like for processing all of the paperwork that has to be verified, stored, returned, I guess, in good condition to the originator and resulting in what we now call a real ID, driver's license, or other form of ID. So thank you so much, Tom. So in the digital age, obviously, that we're currently in, uh, people expect efficiencies uh, that they have not expected so much in the past, I would say. And the documents that these, these folks at DMV are using, or trying to process rather, scan in, are very sensitive documents. They are not just only utility bills, uh, they are very sensitive documents such as social security cards, birth certificates. So we need to make sure that the folks at DMV are use, utilizing hardware that does not destroy these very important documents. 
And so it's all about obviously efficiency. At the end of the day, it's all about efficiency. And what we're also seeing is we need smart scanning. And so it's not just, oh, let me, let me walk this over you know, a few feet and scan these documents in. We need to find a way where each person at these centers right next to their desk can have a, a tool to use, a scanner to use, to scan in these documents just to make the process much quicker. Because like I said earlier, at the end of the day, it's all about efficiency. Okay, well, Charlie, let's go to Ohio for a minute. And what is the workflow and the technology base? What happens when someone comes in, they've got a pile of paper and I want a real ID card? Well, the first thing we hope happens is they, they go to our website first. Um, when, when they go to the BMV's website, we have an interactive document checklist um, to sort of help people decide, okay, what exactly do I need to bring with me? And we find that's um, really, and that education process is really our biggest challenge. People just aren't used to the additional documentation that required to bring it in for a real ID transaction. Uh, but once that happens, and, and we find generally that people do that do go to our website are, are much prepared and, and have a smoother process, but uh, they come into one of our uh, deputy registrar offices around the state, and um, they present their documents at the point of service, at which point the uh, clerk working the transaction scans those documents and they're, they're indexed and associated with that customer's record. Um, so it's, um, as I mentioned, it's, it's, there's a, it's a manual process. Um, the clerks are having to verify those documents, verify that they are indeed authentic. Um, and, and they're also at some point pinging any, any number of of outside agencies to confirm, for instance, social security number comes back and it is associated with that individual. So uh, it's time consuming. We found that um, in Ohio, uh, a real ID transaction takes three to four times as long as a standard driver's license transaction. Um, so, you know, in a state where we have 8 million drivers, you can imagine um, the, the, the backlog that has the potential to create Sure. I guess making an analogy to TSA, where they measure if a half second change in process could make their lines go all the way around the block, two or three minutes on a DMV type of transaction could be hours and hours for people that come in thinking they'll get in and out of there. Right, right. And so, you know, we're, we're, we're constantly trying to balance that um, desire to achieve efficiency with um, really the need um, to achieve for security as well and making sure those those documents are authentic and are real and the person is who they say they are. So um, that's uh, that's sort of our challenge every day and uh, we're, we're getting better. Um, but I, I, I imagine it's something that every motor vehicle agency in the country is, is having to deal with. And not to get overly detailed, but we will because that's what we can do here. How do you handle documents of different sizes? Like the social security card has come up. That's about the size of, I guess, a Medicaid, a Medicare card. Totally different from a birth certificate, which shapes are all over the place, depending on where they started and so on. How yes, so I mean, I can tell you, it, it is difficult. So in, in Ohio, we have, it's a, it's a single scan per document. So which, which makes it that much more time consuming. So you're not really feeding these things in um, through, page scanner. We're, we're scanning one document at a time. Got it. And can you do it with one machine or do you have to have a whole bunch of machines? It is one machine. Yeah. Thankfully. All right, Kyle, uh, you want to add to that? Charles, it breaks my heart to hear that it's just <laughs> one document at a time, to be honest with you. Uh, no, uh, Tom, to, to go into greater detail, obviously, like Charles said, obviously some people do one document at a time, but there is technology out there that can have extended flat beds and such that can process these documents much quicker and also utilize a technology to basically make sure that a page may be perfect in a way. So basically see, hey, this information is correct on this document. It's not missing an address. It's not missing a number on a social security card or a birth certificate. So there is technology out there to utilize um, it's obviously up to the states to decide what they want to use. 
Okay. And on that note, we'll go to uh, Mike Leahy. What, what's the process in Maryland and what's some of the technology base that supports the process? Absolutely. Well, as you said at the beginning, uh, Maryland has been doing this a bit longer than some other folks, and we've learned a number of lessons along the way. I, I think um, before I talk about the technology, the most interesting piece of this, which you touched on, is that we have people with very different experiences based on their age. Uh, for example, when I started driving, there were no cell phones, there was no internet. Uh, whereas my uh, grandchildren, uh, who are reaching the age that they're starting to drive, expect to do everything on this. And so there is a very different set of expectations. And what we have found is that uh, folks who are older, uh, are obviously more comfortable with paper and um, very much more likely to accept the process. Uh, whereas youngsters are saying, why can't I just take a picture of this on my phone and send it to you? So uh, to Kyle's point, uh, our scanning methodology uh, does several things that uh, I think go farther than most. And that is, as he said, we scan to recognize certain documents and look for information on that document in a specific location. So we are effectively uh, determining whether the document itself fulfills the request for what it's there for and can be authenticated. And so that information can be collected and tested, for example, against social security numbers or against addresses or against uh, utility accounts, things of that sort that you can uh, quasi automate those processes to uh, get feedback almost immediately. Uh, the second piece is what happens after that with the technology, because um, as Kyle and uh, Charles both said, we are moving more and more into a world where we are going to create digital certificates and digital means of demonstrating the uh, verification. Uh, because in the past, paper was the best thing we had. Well, we, we now have other tools. And so the real issue becomes how do we create a trust factor associated with those tools that people will accept them the way we've historically accepted paper. And lots of technology challenges, and it's an extraordinarily interesting time. Uh, there's a lot of talk about technology called self-sovereign identification, which uh, usually involves blockchain technology. And there's also a lot of push now for what we call um, zero sum or zero factor authentication, where we trust nothing, but because of the biometrics and other information that we can garner in real time about an individual's location or uh, characteristics about them, we can demonstrate that the information is valid. Um, and I suspect over time that will be incorporated into real ID. But um, for the present, as uh, Kyle and Charles have both said, the key is to make certain that we can speed up the process as much as possible for the ordinary citizen coming into the MBA to deal with this. Uh, we also have checklists online. We have uh, clerks that one can call if they don't understand particular requests in terms of documentation and clarify that before they come in. We also have set up a methodology that people can make appointments online and are guaranteed to actually uh, be able to see a clerk within 15 minutes of their appointment time. And so we effectively don't create queues because everybody decides to go to the MVA on Friday morning. Uh, we, we in effect, limit the access so that people are not going to be standing in line for significant periods of time. 
Interesting. I was going to say when I f- first started to drive, there was no fuel injection. In fact, they didn't even have cup holders. You had to hold that bottle of bud between your knees. But uh, nowadays, <laughs> everything is much well equipped. But what you say implies that there is a degree of intelligence and back office automation that goes with the mechanical processes like scanning and taking in paperwork. And that's really the key to that efficiency. Yeah, absolutely. As, as uh, I think Kyle would tell you if asked, if we can define a workflow um, well, we can automate it. And the, the real issue is making certain that we simplify these processes as much as possible so that any complication in the workflow um, that requires additional manual handling is reduced and uh, ultimately uh, the process can move much faster. And Ian, is there any kind of clearinghouse across the nation for motor vehicle administrators such that these best practices can be shared and the learnings transferred from one to the other and maybe get some of the less sophisticated operations up to speed. Uh, absolutely. That's at the core what AMVA is all about in terms of sharing that knowledge of how different states are implementing the lessons they're learning, what's working, what's a challenge. Uh, our community connects with each other every day in different formats, some in large gatherings, some just a couple of states and different agencies connecting. Uh, and we are happy to facilitate that, that sharing of information, the documenting of best practices, uh, helping to liaison with the Department of Homeland Security to do all that. And in those conversations, one of the things that's happened that I think is relevant to this idea of paper and business flow is what Charlie referred to earlier as real ID modernization. So in late December, when Congress passed the omnibus bill, they included in it real ID language that we refer to as real ID modernization, which now opens the door for states to do things that are more modern, more technology common today than when the act and the rules were written in the mid mid 2000s. Um, Specifically, the idea that someone can take a picture or scan their own documents, upload it in advance so that it's there waiting for the DMV clerk as opposed to the clerk having to start from scratch. Um, There's also the availability, uh, Mike talked a lot about the idea of verifying the data versus the piece of paper. The act allows for if states don't want to collect a piece of paper for the social security number, they no longer need to do that. They just need to collect the number itself and then verify that data electronically. So we're seeing this through this Real ID modernization, this first step of saying, okay, we recognize that Real ID was written in 2005. We live in a different world. How do we leverage the modern tools, but still keep the integrity of a secure credential and making sure these individuals are who they say they are? Interesting. And on that regard, uh, Kyle, I have a question for you, and that is we've been talking about scanning and so on, but there's also an element of imaging in here. And sometimes documents are old or they're imperfect. I think you alluded to that. So is it possible to build into the system some sort of a corrective or verification that this document, old or crumbling as it might be, or smudged, whatever the case might be, is nevertheless acceptable and then can be load it into the workflow and proceed from there. Yeah, absolutely, Tom. So while there is hardware that processes these documents, there is software that will basically look through these documents and make sure that the information is accurate and also uh, make the information look better on the computer or on the screen. Um, Yeah, there definitely is technology out there uh, to make the page look a bit more perfect, I would say, uh, for the, the, the document to be processed. Okay, well, good. Then we'll make sure that gets built in across the country. On that note, we'll take a short break. My guests today are Kyle Kotner, the Public Sector Business Development Manager at Kodak Alaris. Michael Leahy is the Secretary of Information Technology for the State of Maryland. Ian Grossman is the Vice President of Member Services and Public Affairs for the American Association of Motor Vehicle Administrators. And Charlie Norman is the Registrar of Motor Vehicles for the State of Ohio. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. This discussion is Real ID Application Processing, sponsored by Kodak Alaris here at Federal News Network. 
Across the nation, DMVs are dealing with overwhelming backlogs from pandemic closures. Real ID mandate enforcement starts October 1st, so agencies are left to deal with an influx of applications and manual processes that risk inefficiencies and noncompliance. With a world-class portfolio of scanners, software, and services, Kodak Alara simplifies the application process to help DMVs enhance citizen interactions, accurately capture fragile personal documents, and improve processing times. To learn more, visit alarisworld.com go gov. Welcome back to our discussion, Real ID Application Processing, sponsored by Kodak Alaris here at Federal News Network. My guests today are Kyle Kotner, the Public Sector Business Development Manager at Kodak Alaris. Michael Leahy is the Secretary of Information Technology for the State of Maryland. Ian Grossman is the Vice President of Member Services and Public Affairs for the American Association of Motor Vehicle Administrators. And Charlie Norman is the Registrar of Motor Vehicles for the State of Ohio. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. And we were talking about some pretty specific technologies for real ID and for the processing of all that paperwork and the issuing of new digital identities, which actually have a physical counterpart in that plastic card. But I want to explore whether the learnings through real ID and the workflows and technologies that it engenders have applicability maybe statewide in other instances and whether that process of, I guess, osmosis is happening or whether other scanning workflows coming in from other agencies have gone into motor vehicles. Maybe, uh, Michael, we'll start with you as having a statewide view in Maryland. What's your experience? Terrific. Thank you, Tom. Uh, the, the simple answer is yes, there is considerable information flowing into the MVAs and out of the MVAs. Uh, if you think about it, most citizens don't differentiate between government agencies or even levels of government. Uh, they just think they're dealing with the government. So whether it's state or local or federal government, for the most part, they want things as simple as humanly possible. And there has been a movement over the last decade to uh, conform government practices in the IT realm to what has happened in private industry in terms of treating IT not just as a back office process where people crunch numbers and write programs, but as a business partner to actually improve process across the entire enterprise. So uh, there is a great deal of work going on to simplify the collection and storage of data, for example. As you can imagine, uh, Maryland has 86 agencies that collect data about citizens, and each of them have your name, your address, your age. Uh, and uh, in my case, they might have it as Michael G. Leahy, or Mike Leahy, or Michael Leahy. And so in attempting to conform those records to a single source, we're trying to create what they call a golden record. And so if we have one record for each citizen, we can also work toward creating one account for each citizen to deal with the government. And so they could deal with the MBA, they could deal with the health department, they could deal with the human services department, and it would all be addressed in a single account with one way of accessing it. So it would be simplified. You wouldn't have to know how to deal with a particular agency. You would just know the process to deal with the state government. And you would walk in the office and the camera would look at you and the clerk would say, hi, Tom, or something like that, maybe by the time you get to the counter. Well, well you know, the, the fascinating piece of that is that um, citizens are becoming more aware and more concerned about privacy as well as security. We, we've heard horror stories about uh, ransomware and breaches. And so a great deal of the work we're doing is trying to anticipate ways to make certain that citizens are aware of what information they're sharing and that they specify how the state can use it or that the state is clear in its specification to them of how they're going to use it. Um, so a simple example, in most states today, uh, the driver's records are sold to insurance companies. And the insurance companies pay lots of money to someone, uh, be it the state or a state vendor, for collecting and 
servicing that information. Um, as an asset of the citizens of the state, should that be monetized? And the questions that are involved there go to matters that are not only legal, but contractual, because obviously when you purchase sure. insurance, you, you say you give them access to your records. So some very interesting questions are going to arise over the next five years. All right. And Charlie, let me ask you from Ohio, the state of my birth, by the way, uh, the learnings and the experience in workflow associated with Real ID, is that something that can flow out that you share with other state agencies and similarly do workflow challenges that they have maybe inform what you do at the uh, registry in Ohio? Sure, I think so. And, and Michael, uh, you know, hit on an, an interesting process that we're actually uh, pursuing in Ohio as well. Um, we have an administration that uh, has really put a priority on innovation. And so we're looking at um, developing also a sort of a single access point into state government. So we have a single sign on whatever that uh, identifier is. And you can deal with the Bureau of Motor Vehicles. You can get your hunting license. You can pay your taxes. You can get your fishing license. Um, so you're not sort of going to seven different websites uh, to get something done. There's, there's one entry point in the state government. Um, and so that's something we're, we're currently working on right now. Uh, but there are challenges as well. I mean, um, quite frankly, there's a heck of a lot more regulation around getting your driver license than there is um, getting your fishing license. And this is a document you're going to use for the rest of your life to, to prove who you are, not just the government, but to financial institutions and banks and retail establishments. Um, and um, so necessarily there's, there's a high degree of security around that entire process. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that is the, the trend uh, in government. It's certainly the direction we're moving in. We want to simplify these processes for our, for our, our constituents, um, you know, and, and to the degree possible, make it uh, as digital, as electronic, as hands-off as possible. And Kyle, do you see that as something that happens, that osmosis that is coming from the knowledge that people get in the, in the real ID situation, the document handling and the imaging and so forth and the workflows associated with that, that must have wider application uh, across other agencies that you deal with. Oh, absolutely. The, the great thing about efficiency is everyone wants it, <laughs> especially within uh, technology. So absolutely. Um, we look, we see this across the board, not only in DMVs, DPSs who are dealing with the real ID transition, but in other areas as well. I mean, it's a, it's a far reaching, reaching thing. All right, Ian, any comment? Because I wonder, do the associations have these discussions among one another? Absolutely. And what you're seeing is a number of trends that support what you've heard from, from the other panelists, which is this idea that the DMV, as that creator of the identity on behalf of the state, is becoming that portal for citizens and customers to access other state services, whether it is provided directly through the DMV or the DMV being that connector that says, okay, I've established you as a resident of this state and here's your identity and now you're going to be able to use those identity attributes to do business with other parts of the state as opposed to each individual state agency having to go through that identity establishment process. So that is definitely a theme we're seeing uh, across the board. Um, and it's a, it's a natural but unexpected evolution. Uh, if you go back to the early 1900s when New York City was the first to produce a driver's license that was a piece of paper that said, you are legally authorized to operate this motor vehicle to where we are now, which is when someone pulls their driver's license or identity card out of their wallet, chances are it's not to show an officer at roadside that they can legally operate the vehicle, but it's to prove to somebody they are who they say they are. And so this whole evolution of the driver's license as identity and being able to use it to do business, not only with other state agencies, but with the private sector is uh, a theme that's happening across the board. And if the first mainframe went into motor vehicle bureaus and department uh, and the registrars and so on back in the 1970s, still here we are in 2021 dealing with paper, paper forms, birth certificates, social security cards. You still get a, a Medicare card. It's not even plastic. It's just a piece of paper. What do you 
folks feel is the future of the form of of paper in all of these digital processes sounds like it's going to be with us for a while and we need to <laughs> thank you and we need to uh deal with it for a long time to come is that your sense michael well, like most things that change, we expect them to be evolutionary, but in fact, they're not. They're revolutionary. And the uh, interesting aspect of this, there was a study done several years ago, I believe at the MITRE Corporation, that they said for a government agency to write a ministerial letter costs $108 to do the same transaction digitally costs eight cents and and the technology available to us has gotten dramatically better in that several years so i suspect that uh, as governments look for ways to lower costs and demonstrate to their citizens that they are good fiduciaries and using their tax funds appropriately uh, there will become a significant push once people trust in digital processes and we'll move away from paper very quickly at that point, simply because of the costs associated with it. And Charlie? Yeah, I was just thinking I, I attended a virtual retirement ceremony for one of my employees yesterday and was uh, retiring after 38 years. And he mentioned when he started uh, in our offices, they would type out your driver's license on a, on a typewriter on a piece of paper. You know, now we're, we're, we're moving to... Um, world where even even the license itself is digital um, lots of uh, a lot of states are pursuing a mobile driver license or a mobile id uh, that you would show on your phone instead of that that card that sits in your wallet so regardless of whether um, paper may or may not to some degree always be part of that authentication process uh, on the front half um, i think on the back end we're going to move to a world where uh, your your driver license your id card is not a card at all it's something you're 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 showing digitally. Sure, Kyle. As a person who deals with uh, equipment in in handling paper, what does it look like to you in terms of how these process will these processes will modernize, and what do you see ahead in the immediate future? Well, it's, it's okay. I want to go back to actually what Michael uh, was talking about with with kind of like uh, being efficient with your budget. Is is basically you can you can have a there there are ways to to not do massive overhauls within a budget, obviously small changes and some critical technology and implementations can make a huge difference in something like real ID processing, application processing. It's basically an opportunity to catch efficiencies at the front end of the process to ensure anything downstream can work more smoothly. Again, not a huge lift, but there can be some huge improvements in that accuracy capture and uh, verification. All right, so getting back to the question of real ID and the immediate need that we have in the here and now for people to come into agencies, we do have the pandemic. It looks like there's a breakthrough, some sunlight coming into this with the COVID vaccination distribution starting to become a reality and a lot of states are struggling with the information technology for that. Uh, just let's get a handicap on whether states will be able to get this done for what is still the statutory deadline of this October. Charlie, you said 55% of the people yet to go. Uh, is it doable? Yeah, Tom, I think we're gonna get there. Uh, we'll, we will get to a point um, where every Ohioan has had that option. In, in Ohio, legislature valued giving, giving people the, the option to uh, choose to still have a standard driver's license that is not real ID compliant um, and, and or pursue a, a real ID compliant license. Um, we'll be through our entire four-year license cycle uh, in July of 2022. So there is a, a small gap for us. And, and as we get closer to that October deadline, we'll sort of push that out and, and remind folks that, hey, even if your license isn't uh, up for renewal yet, if you want a compliant license, if you're going to be traveling, if you're going to want to get into federal buildings, if you want to get onto a military base, you're going to need this identification card, this new ID in order to, to take part in those transactions. So we're getting there um, in Ohio. I think um, uh, other states are as well. Um, some a little slower, some a little quicker, but uh, 
I wouldn't mind seeing that deadline being pushed back a little bit, maybe to 2022. And Ian, we can talk about that through AMVA um, and, and push that. And, um, but it, it, All right. and states are still closed down to different degrees. I mean, we are all of our drivers uh, uh, stations are open. All of our deputy register offices are open, but many aren't. Okay. Michael, is Maryland going to make it? Absolutely. I, I am more concerned at this point, not about uh, making certain that all folks holding driver's licenses have fulfilled the requirements that uh, in utilizing it when they are traveling, when they are attempting to deal with federal entry and things of that sort, that we are certain that the nomenclature utilized by TSA and others uh, as implemented in the plastic license is read properly. Uh, because I suspect the pandemic having slowed down travel so much, uh, we do hear about some issues with TSA where people who have qualified and are cleared um, have not had their credentials read properly. So that's my biggest concern. Okay, and Ian, we'll give you the last word. Are the rest of the states going to get there, the other 48 in Puerto Rico and District of Columbia, et cetera? Yeah, every, everyone uh, is pretty much on track to offer it to their, to their citizens. Um, and I think the, the key for listeners to take away from is to research on your state-specific DMV website what the process is and to think about you may not have to rush to get it if you have another acceptable travel document. When are you going to travel next? And if so, do you have a passport? Do you have a military ID? Do you have one of those other acceptable forms? It might change when you as an individual need to go in and get the real ID document. All right. So I guess we can say real ID is the real deal and let's get with it. Thank you all very, very much. I want to thank today's guests. Kyle Kotner is the public sector business development manager at Kodak Alaris. Michael Leahy is the Secretary of Information Technology for the state of Maryland. Ian Grossman is the Vice President of Member Services and Public Affairs for the American Association of Motor Vehicle Administrators. And Charlie Norman is the Registrar of Motor Vehicles for the great state of Ohio. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. You're listening to Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, please visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search Kodak Alaris. Thank you for listening to the panel discussion, Real ID Application Process, sponsored by Kodak Alaris on Federal News Network.